Hello, and welcome back to Riverside Readings. I am your host, Trent Miley, and today we will be continuing our journey of our Shakespeare sonnet series. In part four, which covered sonnets 61 to 80, a new emotion came to the forefront of our poet. We have dealt with feelings of desperation and being a harsh critic of his lover's ability to maintain her beauty. However, we saw our poet become engulfed in paranoia, questioning his worth, saying he will not be remembered when he dies, so that is why he writes the way he feels and thinks because once he is gone, then his words will be preserved long after his body has become food for the worms. I look forward to what we discover in part five of our Shakespeare sonnet series on Riverside Readings, a dramatic reading radio show by Trent Miley. Or I shall live your epitaph to make, or you survive when I in earth am rotten, from hence your memory death cannot take, although in me each part will be forgotten. Your name from hence immortal life shall have, though I, once gone, to all the world must die. The earth can yield me but a common grave, when you entombed in men's eyes shall lie. Your monument shall be my gentle verse, which eyes not yet created shall o'er read and tongues do be your being shall rehearse when all the breathers of this world are dead. You still shall live, such virtue hath my pen, where breath most breathes even in the mouths of men. Either I outlive you and write your epitaph, or you will survive when I am rotting in the earth. From now on death cannot take your memory, although all of your parts in me will be forgotten. From now on, your name will have an immortal life, though I, once I am gone, will be dead to the world. The earth can only give me an ordinary grave when you will be preserved in the eyes of men. Your monument will be my lovely verse, which the eyes of future generations will read over and their tongues to repeatedly speak of you when all the living creatures of this world are dead. You will live on. My pen has that power. Wherever there is poetry, especially in the mouths of men. I grant thou wert not married to my muse, and therefore mayst without attaint or look the dedicated words which writers use of their fair subject, blessing every book. Thou art as fair in knowledge as in hue, finding thy worth a limit past my praise, and therefore art enforced to seek anew some fresher stamp of the time-bettering days. And do so, love. Yet, when they have devised what strained touches rhetoric can lend, thou, truly fair, wert truly sympathized in true plain words by thy true-telling friend. 
and their gross painting might be better used where cheeks need blood. In thee it is abused. I accept that you were not obliged to be my muse, and therefore can read without dishonor the words that other writers devote to their beautiful subject, blessing every book. You are as beautiful in knowledge as you are in complexion, and finding your merit beyond my capacity to praise, you therefore are forced to look once again for some newer writer of these improving times. And do so, my love. But while they have created what artificial touches rhetoric can provide, you, who are purely beautiful, are truly represented in simple, honest words by your truthful friend, and their artificial praise might be better used on people who lack beauty. On you, it is unnecessary. I never saw that you did painting need, and therefore to your fair no painting set. I found, or thought I found, you did exceed the barren tender of a poet's debt, and therefore have I slept in your report, that you yourself, being extent, well, might show how far a modern quill doth come too short. Speaking of worth, what worth in you doth grow? The silence for my sin you did impute, which shall be most my glory, being dumb. For I impair not beauty, being mute, when others would give life and bring a tomb. There lives more life in one of your fair eyes than both your poets can in praise devise. I never thought you needed makeup, and therefore added no artifice to your beauty. I found, or I thought I found, that you were better than the barren words with which a poet pays their debt, and therefore I have not been active in singing your praise, so that you yourself, being alive, might well show how far a modern pen can fall too short. Speaking of worth, what worth in you is growing? This silence of mine you did condemn, which will be my biggest triumph, being dumb, because I do not harm beauty, being mute, when others want to give you life, but only make your tomb. There is more life in one of your beautiful eyes than what your two poets can come up with in your praise. Who is it that says most, which can say more than this rich praise, that you alone are you, and whose confine and murid is the store which should example where your equal grew? Lean penury within that pen doth dwell that to this subject lends not some small glory. But he that writes of you, if he can tell that you are you, so dignifies his story. Let him but copy what in you is writ, not making worse what nature made so clear, and such a counterpart shall fame his wit, making his style admired everywhere. You to your beauteous blessings add a curse, 
being fond on praise, which makes your praises worse. Who is it that says the most, that can say more than this rich praise, that only you are you, in whose body is contained all the store of what any equal of yours would be measured by? Lean poverty exists in that pen which does not lend to his subject even a small glory. But whoever writes about you, if he can describe that you are you, his story is worthy enough. Let him simply copy down what you are, not making worse what nature has made so bright, and that image of you will make his skill famous making his style admired by everyone. You add a curse to your beautiful blessings. Being eager to be praised, you make your praise worse. My tongue-tied muse in manners holds her still, while comments of your praise richly compiled Preserve their character with golden quill and precious phrase by all the muses filled. I think good thoughts, whilst other write good words, and like unlettered clerks still cry amen to every hymn that able spirit affords, in polished form of well-refined pen. Hearing you praised, I say, tis so, tis true, and to the most of praise add something more, but that is in my thought, whose love to you, the words come hindmost, holds his rank before. Then others for the breath of words respect, me for my dumb thoughts, speaking in effect. My tongue-tied muse politely stays silent, while commentary on your beauty, rich compositions, Reserved for their writing a golden pen and precious phrases that are polished by all the muses. I think good thoughts about you while others write good words. And like an illiterate priest, I join in with the amen to every poem that an able poet offers to you in the polished form of a well-refined pen. When I hear you being praised, I say, it is so, it is true, and add something more to the highest praise. But what is in my thought, since my love for you, is of the highest rank, despite the fact that my words are the lowest? Then respect others for their spoken words, and respect me for my dumb thoughts, speaking in reality. Was it the proud full sail of his great verse, bound for the prize of all too precious you, that did my ripe thoughts in my brain and hearse, making their tomb the womb wherein they grew? Was it his spirit, by spirits taught to write above a mortal pitch, that struck me dead? No, neither he, nor his compeers by night giving him aid, my verse astonished. He nor that affable familiar ghost which nightly goals him with intelligence, as victors of my silence cannot boast. I was not sick of any fear from thence, but when your countenance filled up his line, 
Then lacked I matter, that enfeebled mine. Was it the magnificent sail of his great verse, sailing towards the all-too-precious prize that you are, that buried my ripe thoughts in my brain, making the womb in which they grew a tomb? Was it his spirit, guided by spirits to write better than any mortal can, that struck me dead? No, neither he nor his associates who at night helped him write, astonished by writing into silence. Neither he nor that friendly ghost which tricks him with false information are responsible for my silence. I was not afraid of any of them. But when your face delighted at his verse, then I lost my subject. That made my writing feeble. Farewell, thou art too dear for my possessing, and like enough thou knowest thy estimate. The charter of thy worth gives thee releasing, my bonds in thee are all determinate. For how do I hold thee but by thy granting? And for that riches where is my deserving? The cause of this fair gift in me is wanting, and so my patent back again is swerving. Thyself thou gavest, thy own worth then not knowing, or me, to whom thou gavest it, else mistaking. So thy great gift, upon misprison growing, comes home again, on better judgment-making. Thus have I had thee as a dream doth flatter, in sleep a king, but waking no such matter. Goodbye. You are too precious to be my possession, and you probably know how valuable you are. The privileges of your worth frees you from obligations. My rights over you have all expired. For how can I hold you unless by your permission, and how can I be deserving of such riches? The only cause for this beautiful gift is wanting. And so my right to have you returns to you. You gave yourself when you didn't know your own worth. Or you thought differently of me, who gave yourself too. So your great gift to me, which started from a mistake, comes back to you. So you can make a better decision. Thus I possessed you like a flattering dream. In sleep, I am a king, but when I wake, I am no such thing. When thou shalt be disposed to set me light and place my merit in the eye of scorn, upon thy side against myself I'll fight and prove thee virtuous though thou art forsworn. With mine own weakness being best acquainted, upon thy part I can set down a story of faults concealed, wherein I am attainted, that thou in losing me shalt win much glory, and I by this will be a gainer too, 
for bending all my loving thoughts on thee, the injuries that to myself I do, doing thee vantage, double vantage me. Such is my love, to thee I so belong, that for thy right myself will bear all wrong. When you are able to value me at a low rate and to expose my merit to be questioned by a scornful eye, I'll fight on your side against myself and prove that your virtue, though you've broken your promise. Since I know my own flaws best, taking your side I can offer my testimony of the hidden faults I have, where I am morally tainted so that you, by losing me, can go on to bigger and better things. But I will also benefit from losing you. Since I fixate all my loving thoughts on you, the harm that I do to myself gives you an advantage, and therefore gives me a double advantage. This is the nature of my love. I belong to you so much that in order to preserve your right to liberty, I will take all the blame. Say that thou didst forsake me for some fault, and I will comment upon that offense. Speak of my lameness, and I straight will halt, against thy reasons making no defense. Thou canst not, love, disgrace me half so ill, to set a form upon desired change, as I'll myself disgrace, knowing thy will. I will acquaintance strangle and look strange, be absent from thy walks, and in my tongue thy sweet beloved name no more shall dwell, lest I, too much profane, should do it wrong and happily of our old acquaintance tell. For thee against myself I'll vow debate, for I must ne'er love him whom thou dost hate. Suppose you left me because of some fault, and I will explain that offense. Speak about my lameness, and I will immediately limp, making no defense against your argument. You can't, my love, disgrace me half as badly, given reasons for a change that you want, as I will disgrace myself, knowing what you want. I will suppress all signs of familiarity and look at you like a stranger. I won't go to the places you frequent, and in my tongue your sweet beloved name will not live any longer in case I, too unholy, should contaminate it by revealing our old familiarity. For you I vow to debate against myself, since I must never love anyone you hate. Then hate me when thou wilt, if ever, now. Now, while the world has bent my deeds to cross, join with the spite of fortune, make me bow, and do not drop in for an after loss. 
Ah, do not, when my heart hath scaped this sorrow, come in the rearward of a conquered woe. Give not a windy night a rainy morrow to linger out a purposed overthrow. If thou wilt leave me, do not leave me last. When other petty griefs have done their spite, but in the onset come, so shall I taste at first the very worst of fortune's might. And other strains of woe, which now seem woe, compared with loss of thee will not seem so. So hate me whenever you want to, but if you ever do it, do it now. Now, while the world is determined to frustrate my actions. Join with spiteful fortune, make me bow down, and don't drop an additional loss on me. Ah, do not. When my heart has escaped this sorrow, attack my sorrows from behind when it has already been conquered. Do not give to a windy night a rainy tomorrow to prolong an intended conquering. If you leave me, do not leave me at the very end, when other trivial sadnesses have already done their harm. Instead, come at the first opportunity so that I will experience the very worst that fortune can do to me. And other kinds of suffering, which seem heartbreaking now, will be nothing compared to losing you. Some glory in their birth, some in their skill, some in their wealth, some in their body's force, some in their garments, though new fangled ill, some in their hawks and hounds, some in their horse. And every humor hath his adjunct pleasure, wherein it finds a joy above the rest. But these particulars are not my measure, all these I better in one general best. Thy love is better than high birth to me, richer than wealth, prouder than garments cost, of more delight than hawks or horses be, and having thee, of all men's pride I boast. Wretched in this alone, that thou mayst take all this away, and me most wretched make. Some people revel in their social status some in their skill, some in their wealth, some in their body strength, some in their clothes, even though they are badly made, some in their hunting birds and dogs, and some in their horses. And every personality has its own kind of pleasure, in which it finds pleasure above all others. But these preferences do not matter to me, all these I improve on with one pleasure that is general. Your love is better than high birth to me, richer than wealth, more impressive than expensive clothes, more delightful to me than hunting birds or horses. And having you, I boast my pride over all other men. I am unhappy only for this reason that you can take all this away and make me the most unhappy. But do thy worst to steal thyself away 
For term of life thou art assured mine, and life no longer than thy love will stay, for it depends upon that love of thine. Then need I not to fear the worst of wrongs, when in the least of them my life hath end. I see a better state to me belongs than that which on thy humour doth depend. Thou canst not vex me with inconstant mind, since that my life of thine revolt doth lie. Oh, what a happy title do I find, happy to have thy love, happy to die. But what so blessed fair that fears no blot? Thou mayst be false, and yet I know it not. Try your hardest to sneak away from me, for as long as life lasts you are promised to be mine, and life will not stay longer than your love, since it depends on that love of yours. Therefore, I do not need to fear the worst kind of harm, since the least of them will cause me to die. I see that a better state is available to me than being dependent on your disposition. You cannot trouble me with your personality, since my life hangs on your changes of heart. Oh, what a happy right I have over you. Happy to have your love. Happy to die. But what is so beautiful and blessed that it does not fear corruption? You may be unfaithful, and I don't know it yet. So shall I live, supposing thou art true, like a deceived husband, so love's face may still seem love to me, though altered new, thy looks with me, thy heart in other place. For there can live no hatred in thine eye, therefore in that I cannot know thy change. In many looks the false heart's history is writ in moods and frowns and wrinkles strange, but heaven in thy creation did decree that in thy face sweet love should ever dwell. Whate'er thy thoughts or thy heart's workings be, thy looks should nothing thence but sweetness tell. How like Eve's apple doth thy beauty grow! if thy sweet virtue answer not thy show. I will live this way, believing that you are faithful, like a deceived husband. In this way, love's face may still seem like love to me, even though it has just been changed. Your appearance is present, but your heart is elsewhere. Since your eyes cannot hold signs of hatred, I cannot know the change of your heart. In many people's faces, the deceitful heart is expressed in moods, frowns, and strange wrinkles. But heaven mandated in creating you that love should always live in your sweet face. Whatever your thoughts or what is happening in your heart, your looks should tell of sweetness in nothing else. How much like Eve's apple does your beauty become? if your sweet virtue does not reflect your appearance. They that have power to hurt, and will do none, that do not do the thing they most do show, who moving others are themselves at stone, unmoved, cold, and to temptation slow, they rightly do inherit heaven's graces and husband nature's riches from expense. They are the lords and owners of their faces, 
others but stewards of their excellence. The summer's flower is to the summer sweet, though to itself it only live and die. But if that flower with base infection meet, the basest weed outbraves his dignity. For sweetest things turn sourest by their deeds. Lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. People who have the power to hurt, but will not do any, who do not do the thing that they most seem to be doing, who move others but are themselves like stone, unmoved, cold, and slow to respond to temptation, they correctly inherit heaven's blessings and manage nature's riches so that they are not wasted. They are the masters of their own emotions. Others are only the caretakers of their virtues. The summer's flower is sweet to the summer, although by itself it only lives and dies. But if that flower meets a disgusting infection, the lowliest weed surpasses its dignity. Sweetest things turn the most sour by the wrong actions. Lilies that are rotten smell How sweet and lovely dost thou make the shame which, like a canker in a fragrant rose, dost spot the beauty of thy budding name. Oh, in what sweets dost thou thy sins enclose, that tongue that tells the story of thy days, making lascivious comments on thy sport, cannot dispraise but in a kind of praise, naming thy name blesses an ill report. Oh, what a mansion have those vices got which for their habitation chose out thee, where beauty's veil doth cover every blot, and all things turns to fair that eyes can see. Take heed, dear heart, of this large privilege, the hardest knife, ill used doth lose his edge. You make shame sweet smelling and lovely, which, like an infection in the fragrant rose, taints the beauty of your growing reputation. Oh, you encased your sins in such beauty, sweet. A person that tells stories about you, making lustful comments on your pleasure, he cannot help but turn his insult into a praise. The using of your name blesses a bad report. Oh, what a glorious body houses those bad deeds, which chose you as their home. But that is where beauty covers every stain, and where all things the eyes can see become beautiful. Take care, dear heart, of this large privilege. The hardest knife badly used loses its edge. Some say thy fault is youth, some wantonness. Some say thy grace is youth and gentle sport. Both grace and faults are loved of more and less. Thou makest faults graces that to thee resort. As on the finger of a throned queen the basest jewel will be well esteemed, so are those errors that in thee are seen to truths translated and for true things deemed. How many lambs might the stern wolf betray if like a lamb he could his looks translate? How many gazers mightest thou lead away if thou wouldst use the strength of all thy state but do not so. I love thee in such sort, as thou being mine, 
mine is thy good report. Some say that your flaw is youth. Some say it is promiscuity. Some say your charm is youthfulness and noble pastimes. High and low-born people love these charms and flaws. You turn faults into charm when they flock to you. As on the finger of a crowned queen, the smallest jewel will be highly prized. Those flaws that you have are also translated into virtues and judged to be virtues. How many lambs could the stern wolf deceive if he could transform into looks into those of a lamb? How many onlookers could you mislead if you used all the powers of your condition? But do not do so. I love you in such a way that since you are mine, your good reputation is also mine. How like a winter hath my absence been from thee, the pleasure of the fleeting year! What freezings have I felt, what dark days seen, what old December's badness everywhere! And yet this time removed was summer's time, the teeming autumn big with rich increase, bearing the wanton burthen of the prime, like widowed wombs after their lord's decease. Yet this abundant issue seemed to me but hope of orphans, an unfathered fruit, for summer and his pleasures wait on thee, and thou away, the very birds are mute. Or if they sang, tis with so dull a cheer that leaves look pale, dreading the winter's near. How like a winter my absence for you has been! You are the pleasure of a quickly passing year! What freezing cold I have felt! What dark days I have seen! The bleakness of old December was everywhere! And yet, this time away was also like summer. The fertile autumn had a bountiful harvest, being the playful offspring from the prime of the year, like widows pregnant after the death of their husbands. Yet this abundant produce seemed to me no more than the hope of orphans and fatherless fruit, since summer and its pleasures depended on you, and when you are away even the birds are mute, or if they sing. It is in such a low mood that the leaves look pale, dreading the approach of winter. From you have I been absent in the spring, from proud piped April, dressed in all his trim, hath put a spirit of youth in everything, that heavy Saturn laughed and leapt with him. Yet nor the lays of birds, nor the sweet smell of different flowers in odor and in hue, could make me any summer story tell, or from their proud lap pluck them where they grew. Nor did I wonder at the lilies white, nor praise the deep vermilion in the rose. They were but sweet, but figures of delight, drawn after you, you pattern of all those. Yet seemed it winter still, and you away, as with your shadow I with these did play. I have been separated from you all spring, when multicolored April, all dressed up, has put on a youthful spirit in everything, so that heavy Saturn laughed and danced with them. Yet neither the songs of the birds, nor the sweet smell of flowers different in scent and color, could make me tell any story of summer, or pluck the flowers from the proud earth. Nor did I wonder at the whiteness of the lily, 
nor praise the deep red of the rose. They were only sweet, no more than appearances of delight, drawn after you, you, who are the archetype of all of them. And it still seemed like winter, and you were away. I played with these as if I were playing with your shadow. The forward violet, thus did I chide. Sweet thief, whence didst thou steal thy sweet that smells, if not from my love's breath? The purple pride which on thy soft cheek for complexion dwells in my love's veins thou hast too grossly dyed. The lily I condemned for thy hand, in buds of marjoram had stolen thy hair. The roses fearfully on thorns did stand, one blushing shame, another white despair. A third, nor red nor white, had stolen of both, and to his robbery had annexed thy breath. But for his theft, in pride of all his growth, a vengeful canker ate him up to death. More flowers I noted, yet I none could see, but sweet or color it had stolen from thee. I chastised the early violet in this way. Sweet thief, where did you steal your sweet smell if not from my lover's breath? The proud purple color which is on the complexion of your soft cheeks you have dyed excessively in my love's veins. I commended the lily for stealing its whiteness from your hand, and the marjoram buds had stolen their curls from your hair. The roses stood by anxiously on their thorns, one blushing red with shame, another white with despair. A third, neither red nor white, had stolen from both colors, and even added to his stolen goods the sweetness of your breath. But for his theft, at the peak of his growth, a vengeful caterpillar ached him to death. I saw more flowers, but I could see none that had stolen their smell or color from you. Where art thou, muse, that thou forgettest so long to speak of that which gives thee all thy might? Spendest thou thy fury on some worthless song, darkening thy power to lend base subjects light? Return, forgetful muse, and straight redeem in gentle numbers time so idly spent. Sing to the ear that doth thy lays esteem, and gives thy pen both skill and argument. Rise. Resty muse, my love's sweet face survey, if time have any wrinkled graven there. If any, be a satire to decay, and make time's spoils despised everywhere. Give my love fame faster than time wastes life, so thou preventest his scythe and crooked knife. Where are you, my muse? that you forgot for so long to speak of that person who gives you all your power. Are you wasting your inspiration on some worthless song, dulling your power to brighten some lowly subjects? Return, forgetful muse, and immediately make up for the time that you spent writing noble verses. Sing to the ear that appreciates your songs, and gives your pen its ability to write in its subject. Rise, 
sleepy muse. Examine my love's sweet face. See if time has carved any wrinkles there. If it has, then mock its power of decay and make time's triumph hated everywhere. Give my love fame faster than time wastes life so that you stop time's sickle and his crooked knife. O truant muse, what shall be thy amends for thy neglect of truth and beauty died? Both truth and beauty on my love depends, so dost thou too, and therein dignified. Make answer, muse, wilt thou not haply say truth needs no color? With his color fixed, beauty no pencil, beauty's truth to lay, but best is best if never intermixed. Because he needs no praise, wilt thou be dumb? Excuse not silence so, for it lies in thee to make him much outlive a gilded tomb, and to be praised of ages yet to be. Then to thy office, muse, I teach thee how to make him seem long hence as he shows now. O oh, absent muse, how will you compensate for your neglect of truth that is dyed with beauty? Both truth and beauty depend on my love, and so are you and you are made worthy by it. Answer me, muse. Won't you perhaps say, truth does not need any color, since it has his own color. Beauty does not need a pencil to apply beauty's truth. The best things are best when not mixed with other things. But because my lover doesn't need praise, are you going to stay mute? Do not excuse this silence, since you can make my beloved outlive a golden tomb, and to have him be praised through time to come. Then do your duty, muse. I will teach you how to make my beloved appear for a long time as he does now. My love is strengthened, though more weak in seeming. I love not less, though less the show appear. That love is merchandised, whose rich esteeming the owner's tongue doth publish everywhere. Our love was new, and then but in the spring, but I was wont to greet it with my lays. As Philomel in summer's front doth sing, and stops his pipe in growth of riper days. Now that the summer is less pleasant now than when her mournful hymns did hush the night, but that wild music burthens every bough, and sweets groan common lose their dear delight. Therefore, like her, I sometimes hold my tongue, because I would not dull you with my song. My love is stronger, although it seems weaker. I don't love less, though my love shows less. Love is made commercial with its high esteem is publicized everywhere by its owner. Our love was new, and then in the springtime, when I was inclined to celebrate it with my poems, as a nightingale sings in the beginning of summer, and stops to do so when summer advances towards fall. Not that the summer is less pleasant now than when she silenced the night with her sad songs, but now every branch is weighed down with wild music, and sweet expensive things have lost their appeal by becoming cheap, 
Therefore, like the nightingale, I sometimes stay silent because I wouldn't like to bore you with my song. Alack, what poverty my muse brings forth that having such a scope to sow her pride, the argument all bare is of more worth than when it hath my added praise beside. Oh, blame me not if I no more can write. Look in your glass. And if there appears a face that overgoes my blunt invention quite, dulling my lines and doing me disgrace. Were it not sinful then, striving to mend, to mar the subject that before was well? For to no other pass my verses tend than of your graces and your gifts to tell. And more, much more than in my verse can sit, your own glass shows you when you look in it. Dear me, what bad poetry my muse produces, that despite having such a range in which to show her prowess, the subject matter of the poem is more valuable than when it has my praise added to it. Oh, don't blame me if I can't write any more. Look in your mirror, and there is a face that surpasses my lame creative powers, making my verses dull and disgracing me. Would it not be a sin trying to improve something and ruining something that was good before? Since my verses strive for no other goal but to tell your beauty and excellent qualities, and more, much more, than what my verse can praise, your own mirror shows you when you look into it. To me, fair friend, you never can be old, for as you were when first your eye I eyed, such seems your beauty still. Three winters cold have from the forest shook three summers pride. Three beauteous springs to yellow autumn turned in process of the seasons I have seen. Three April perfumes in three hot Junes burned, since first I saw you fresh, which yet are green. Ah, uh, yet doth beauty, like a dial hand, steal from his figure, and no pace perceived. So your sweet hue, which methinks still doth stand, hath motion, and mine eye may be deceived. For fear of which, hear this, thou age unbred, ere you were born was beauty's summers dead. To me, beautiful friend, you can never be old, for as you were when I first saw your gaze. Your beauty seems no less now. Three cold winters have passed, shaking the leaves out of the trees. Three beautiful springs have turned into yellow autumn during the progress of the seasons that I have seen. Flowers from three Aprils have burned in three hot Junes since I first saw you. You who are still young. Uh, but beauty, like the hand of a clock, sneaks away from my lover without any hint of motion. So your sweet color, which I think remains the same, is changing, and mine eye may be deceived. Out of fear for this, hear this, you generations yet unborn. Before you were born, the summer of beauty was dead. Let not my love be called idolatry, nor my beloved as an idol show, since all alike my songs and praises be to one of one still such 
and ever show. Kind is my love today, tomorrow kind, still constant in a wondrous excellence. Therefore my verse to constancy confined, one thing expressing, leaves out difference. Fair, kind, and true is all my argument. Fair, kind, and true, varying to other words. And in this change is my invention spent, three themes in one, which wondrous scope affords. Fair, kind, and true have often lived alone, which three, till now, never kept seat in one. Don't let my love be called idolatry, and don't say that my lover appears as an idol, since my songs and praises are all the same, dedicated to one person, about one person, and will always be like this. My love is the same today and the same tomorrow, consistent in its wonderful excellence. Therefore my verse, restricted to fidelity, expresses one thing only, leaving out difference. My verse has one theme, that you are fair, kind, and true. And all I do is describe this theme in different words. And this rewording is where my creative powers are spent. Three themes in one. A wonderful range of subject matter. Fair, kind, and true have often lived alone. But the three, until now, have never existed in one person. If you enjoyed listening to me talk, I have another show on Spotify called Extra Point, X-T-R-A-P-O-I-N-T, with my good friend, Bakari Garvin. And we have an Instagram, at Extra Point Pod, X-T-R-A, P-O-I-N-T-P-O-D. If you want content or knowledge about your host, me, Trent Miley, follow my professional Instagram at Riverside underscore readings. This has been Riverside Readings. I am your host, Trent Miley, and I look forward to the next journey we take together. His last pod would say, Hail yourself and magustulations. <laughs>